So over the past um, few weeks, I have been studying in 1 Corinthians and have been captivated by this verse. 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 18. And if the Lord continues to lead, I probably will preach my... The next few opportunities that I have to preach will be on this message of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that you'd help us this morning. I pray, Lord God, that you'd open your word to us, Lord, that we'd hear your word, Lord, that we would understand more and more that we um, can live our lives as not for that red part that Francis Chan talked about, Lord, but for eternity, Lord, because of the message of the cross. And I pray, Lord God, that you would captivate us, that you would help us to be Our attention will be drawn to your cross and the finished work that you did there. In Jesus' name, amen. So the very first thing that I want to talk about regarding the message of the cross is to understand the essence of what the message of the cross is, is this. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, Three words. It is finished. And what the Lord has begun to take me through is what that means for us. What that means for us. There, um, There is, the other thing that it means for us, and I'll probably talk about this more later, I heard someone say that the message of the cross causes us to concentrate less on bad versus good, and more on dead versus alive. Because the message of the cross isn't just Jesus dying on the cross. What happened after he died? What happened? He rose again. And the Bible tells us that just as he rose from the grave, so too shall we walk in newness of life. And so as I've read through 1 Corinthians, I've seen it in a new way. I've seen that 1 Corinthians is telling us how to walk in newness of life. Because because Paul said to them, if you go, um, the Bible, let's see, in in chapter 2, verse 2, it said, Paul in his introduction to 1 Corinthians, said, I determined to know nothing or to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He purposed to know nothing among them except this message of the cross. And so the very first aspect of this message of the cross that I want to talk about is is what it means for us to be chosen. What does it mean for us 
to be chosen. The doctrinal word for this is the word election. It's the word that means God, we didn't choose, in fact, the Bible even teaches us, we didn't choose Him, He chose us. Now, do we believe in free will? Do we believe that we respond to that choice? Absolutely. That's not the purpose of my message this morning. But the beauty of the beauty of election is to realize that our identity is not based in this little red part. I love that we did that before. It's not based on who we are or what we know or how good we are or how strong we are or how fit we are or or what our job is. Our identity is based on Him choosing us. He picked us. You never, ever, ever need to feel that you aren't good enough or that you are, um, you're left, uh, you're kind of the one left after everyone's picked. No, Jesus chose us. So I want to read, uh, starting in verse number 22, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22. Actually, let's start in verse number 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Hath not, hath, boy, sometimes when you grew up reading the King James, has becomes hath, and you don't even mean for it to. <laughs> Let me try again. Has not God made the foolish, foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block to the Greeks' foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. By the way, this, the scriptures like this are where what Anthony shared with us this morning and what Phil brought out about equating wisdom and Jesus when you read through Proverbs. This is the very area where we get that. That's not just an idea that Phil came up with. It says that Christ is the wisdom of God. In uh, now in verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh and not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame or to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things that are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us 
wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that it is that that as it is written he who glories let him glory in the Lord so what i'd like to preach this morning is chosen and loved to love so we see here in 1 Corinthians Paul describing the way that God chooses. It isn't like anything that we, anything like the way that we choose. It's kind of like, and I'm probably really going to get in trouble here because for the sake of my son, I'm going to use a football illustration. And as most of you know, my knowledge of football is very small. But, so Reese, if I mess up, please correct me. Um, so, my understanding is that once a year, all the people, all the, the players that are available to play are chosen. And there's a certain order that different teams get to choose different players. And the way God chooses, so but the way that the football teams choose is they all argue and, and bargain back and forth about who gets first choice and second choice so that they can pick the very best players. Is that more or less correct? Okay. I didn't butcher it too bad. But what God does, he doesn't go and try to find the best. He doesn't go in, in that draft pick. It's almost as if what, what Paul is saying here, it's almost as if God, who has the first pick, goes and says, let me find the very least. Let me find the ver- the one who, he really can't throw very well. He's supposed to be a, ta- uh, a defensive person, and he, he's built, you know, like Nathaniel. He's little, you know, he's a little guy. No, God, what this is trying to tell us is the way that God chooses us isn't because We're so great. It's because he's so great. And I think that many times in Christianity, we try to make ourselves look great so that he'll pick us. But that isn't the way he chooses. He chooses us. He chooses the foolish things and the weak things, and the base things, and the things that are not for one reason. That reason is that no flesh should glory in His presence. That if anything comes of us, it isn't because of us, it's because of Him. If God chooses to move in this church fellowship we want to be able and we will testify that anything that God does here is because of Him. Not because we're such a great group of people that love each other and and have made such good choices to leave where we were to come here or we've done so good and we have such great testimonies and we're so put together and we have large, we have great families and and we were, we're all successful and have great businesses. No, 
That's not the way God chooses. God chooses us. While the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get to a point where we had it all together. Because here is the wonderful truth of the gospel. We will never have it all together. He is the one that has it all together. It's not about us. It's about him. And if you have heard one thing in all the preaching and all the sharing, there's a common thread that's gone on ever since this church fellowship started. And that common thread is this. It's about him. It's not about us. And I believe that the more we understand that and we embrace, I'll be honest with you, this last year has reduced me to where I feel like I have nothing to give. I have lost things that were the most precious to me. I, I identified with Phil's message of feeling crushed beyond recognition. And what I've heard the Lord say as I have studied and meditated in, in, on this section of Scripture again is that's exactly where He wants me and that's exactly where He wants all of us. Because when we realize that we have nothing to give, when we realize that there is nothing that we bring to the table, then he flows through weak things. Then his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so, you know, we see it throughout Scripture. This isn't just one isolated verse that Paul says God chooses weak things so that we wouldn't glory, that he would get all the glory. We see it all throughout Scripture. There's a, there's a, a parable in Matthew 22, and I won't read it all for the sake of time, but it goes like this. There was a king whose son, they were having a wedding feast. And as has happens in weddings, and this, if you want to read this when... Um, Later at home, it's Matthew 22, 1 through 14. And it says, The kingdom of heaven is like this king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out invitations. And I don't know about you, but if I got an invitation from a king to go to a wedding, it wouldn't matter if I knew the prince and the princess that were getting married. I'd probably go to the wedding. But that wasn't the decision that these inv invitees did. They all had excuses. I mean, some of the excuses are, are kind of, you know, I, I thought about Paul. Uh, behold, I prepared, one of the excuses was, I prepared my dinner. And my oxen and my fatted livestock are all butchered. Sorry, I can't come. Paul, I don't know that Paul would ever say, I'm not going... You know, Paul has a lot of fatted, fatted cows at his, maybe not as many as he used to, because he just sold a bunch, but he would never in a million years, oh, sorry, I can't go to the wedding. 
But here's the beautiful part. This is the part that reminds me of you and me. Is after all those people that were invited wouldn't come. Then he said, you know, the king's like, we have a wedding. We have food. We need to have a party. What are we going to do? So he said, go. He sent his servants back out. And he said, go to the highways and byways. Go look for the least likely people to be invited to a king's, a prince's wedding and invite them to come. That my house might be filled. Guess what? You and I are those people who were the least likely to be invited. And yet he invited us to the great marriage supper of the Lamb. And we are there not because we're dukes and duchesses and, and, and presidents and first ladies and, and governors and governor's wives. No, we're not there because of our qualifications. We're there because we accepted the invitation to the king of the king. That's the message of the cross. It's he finished the work. When he died on that cross, he said, it is finished. And you know, one of the things that I have been meditating on that's been so beautiful to me is that there are many things when you talk about doctrine that are already and not yet. There's, there's parts of our sanctification that the Lord does in part. There's the process and there's part we see part of his glory and yet we are going to someday be glorified. But there's one thing in our doctrine that is an anchor for us. There is one thing and that is the cross. The work of the cross was done once for all. The, the, the price for our sin, the, the, the punishment of our sin was on him and it is paid. Once and for all. There's no, there's no coming attraction with that. No, it is done. And we can, anytime the devil comes and reminds you of your sin, reminds you of a mistake that you made, you and I can point him to the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's finished. So we're chosen. And, and we, again, we see this throughout Scripture. We see it in the, the story of Gideon. Who knows the story of Gideon where Gideon had an army and then God weaned the army down and then he weaned the army down again to a point where there's no way that they can win the battle. What happened? They won the battle. We see it in David. I think this about this often because I have a lot of boys. When Samuel came in, for, in 1 Samuel 6 to find a king, for Israel. He said, Jesse, bring all your, your sons. So Jesse brought most of his sons. He couldn't imagine that David was going to be chosen. He left David out in the field ten, tending the sheep. He didn't even ask David to come. And when Samuel put his hand over each one of the sons and this isn't the one, this isn't the one, this isn't the one, this isn't the one. Do you not do you have any more sons? He asked Jesse. I have one more. He's out, my youngest. He's out in the field. That's us. 
we're the ones, we're the ones left out in the field. But God chose us. What I'm trying to help all of us understand is there is no place for us to ever allow the world to label us or to say, you're uneducated, you're this, you're that. We can choose to allow those labels to stick on us or we can allow the message of the cross to identify us. To realize it doesn't matter that everyone else would choose to overlook us. He chose us. He chose us. And this choosing, so this choosing, in this choosing, he showed us his love. I was thinking about, um, there was an early church, or a, a Puritan pastor, or preacher way back when, and I can't even pronounce his name. L. Nathan Pam. We're, we're looking for boys' names. L. Nathan is not one of the ones we're, gonna, we're looking for. Maybe Nathan, but not L. Nathan. This doctrine, the doctrine of election, of being chosen, affords comfort. Thy unworthiness may dismay thee, but remember that thy election depends not on thy worthiness, but on the will of God. In other words, it's not about us, it's about him. And in this choosing, in choosing us, he loved us. Turn with me to Colossians 3. Verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies and kindness, humility and meekness, bearing, uh, bearing, with, yeah, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If any has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so much, so also must you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. In First John three, let's also read First John three one. First John 3, 1 John 3.1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And for this reason, the world does not know us because they did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not yet appeared what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. He hasn't only chosen us. He didn't just pick us and leave us alone. He's chosen us 
and he loves us. The Bible says we've been accepted into the beloved. He's brought us close. He didn't just choose us and say, okay, I've chosen you, and now you're not going to go to hell. Everything's going to be... No, he loves us. Just like I shared a couple weeks ago about the way the prodigal son loved, or the, pro- the, the father was loved the prodigal son and ran to meet him and wrapped him in his arms. That's the way he loves us. But he didn't just choose us. Or just love us. As we see in Colossians 3 that we just read. He says, so though as those who have been, this is the NASB. As those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. The whole reason that we were chosen and we have been loved is so that we can take that love and that acceptance that we've received from God and we can apply it to each other. We, the church, and one of the things I love about this church family is we, is we have tasted of this. But I think the Lord wants us to taste even more. As we full, begin to more fully understand how God chose us, and how much He loves us, that attitude should be turned around and applied to each other. That kindness and humility and compassion and gentleness and patience and forbearing and forgiving, not complaining against one another. What was the basis on which He said it? Because we were chosen. Because we're loved, we need to show that same love to one another. John 13, 31 to 35 is set right before Jesus died. It's the Last Supper, and um, it's the Last Supper, and, the, and uh, Judas has yet to betray Jesus. And right after Jesus says, to the disciples, one of you is going to betray me, and Judas leaves. Then it says, therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God, uh, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you, a little longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, and now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, that would be a lot. One of Jesus' last commands before he goes to the cross is, you shall also love one another. But that's he didn't stop there. He says, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
this loving, this choosing that we've experienced through in our salvation, this not cho- not being chosen because we're great, not being chosen because we're wise, not being chosen because we're the pick of the crop, the best of the best. We have to. This the Bible says we're to love each other the way he loved us. And what that means is we can't love each other just when it's convenient. We can't love each other just when we're acting our best. We can't love each other just when everything's going okay. That's not the way he loved us. We need to love each other the way he loved us. So I want to go back in closing to 1 Corinthians 1, back where we were originally, up a few verses. And in the season we just came out of, this verse got quoted a lot, but I saw it in a new light. 1 Corinthians 1.11. In the whole context of the message of the cross and the introduction to 1 Corinthians, Paul... Um, actually, let's start in verse number 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions, that word is schisms, like cracks and fractures among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, that those of the house, those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. And now I am saying this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And the answer is no, right? And this word schisms, um, given the, the study that I did, it's, it means to shred. It means to pull apart. It's not, evidently, it's not just a word talking about the presence of these divisions, but the act of these divisions being present means that they were shredding. I've heard, so if you put that, if you, if you, if you add that um, definition in, I've heard that they're shredding among you, that you're shredding each other. And the thing that the Lord just put on my heart was this. We want to always be about him. It is human nature to join together in little cliques. It's human nature to say, oh, I like him better than him. I like her better than her. I like them better than them. But what Paul is saying here is that shreds the body of Christ. And if we understand the way that we have been loved by God, we will never, 
ever have that among us. If we understand that we have been loved in this unconditional, unworthy, while we were yet unworthy way, we will never live this way. We will never have... Sure, you know, if you invite one family to your house, that doesn't mean you need to have the whole church. We can get together in groups. That's fine. But that's that's a way different thing than having cliques and having... And the same thing is true about denominations. One of the things I've been thinking about this week, we, in, I was editing the, or um, editing the, the mission statement that Phil, ha, that Phil is working on, and he talks about us being non-denominational. And there's two ways to view being non-denominational. You could view non-denominational as... We're non-denominational because we can't decide what denomination we're a part of. But I don't think that's what Phil was trying to communicate. I believe that we are non-denominational on purpose. We don't want to be involved in these schisms that the church is involved in. Oh, I'm a this and I'm a that. No, we want to be of Jesus and that's it. We want to be, we may take, we may see some truth here and some truth here and some truth here. We are non-denominational on purpose because we realize that what happens when we begin to identify ourselves under someone or as a something, oh, I'm a this, I'm a Pentecostal. That means I do this, 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 and this. I'm a Calvinist. That means I do this, 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 and this. I'm an Armenian. That means I do, no, We want Jesus to have preeminence in all things. And if we believe that, then we'll be okay with people not being able to figure out quite what we are. In in Corinth, they wanted to say, I'm 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 an Apollosite. I'm a Paulite. I'm a Cephasite. I'm a Christian. No. We, We want to be identified by Jesus and Jesus alone. And it comes because if we begin to identify ourselves in any other way, we begin to repel people who Jesus has chosen. We want to make sure that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord feels welcome among us. Some, If they love Jesus, they're welcome here. And that comes, though, this is part of the message of the cross. It's about him. It's not about our... We, I, 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 it blesses me that we um, are dissecting and understanding and, and beginning to uh, assimilate different doctrines that are important, but we don't want to be identified by anything other than Jesus. He chose us. We weren't worthy. We weren't, we weren't the best of the best. And yet he still chose us and loves us. And the one practical application that just the Lord just now, um, you know, schisms in a church begin often. I loved what Josh said. Um, not this Josh, that Josh. Um, he said, I was having a conversation this week and I was trying to help somebody and I didn't do it in the right way. He realized that. 
the shredding that can happen in a church and the hurt happens can happen simply by us not realizing that we've hurt someone else and going and making it right. And so I'm not aware of anything. I don't know anything. But if you know that something you've done or said has hurt somebody else, make it right. Because if we do that, then this church will continue to grow and grow and grow in God's love. And there will be no schisms. There will be no divisions among us. But we have to be faithful to be humble like Joshua was this morning and realize if we've made a mistake, let's make it right. Let's not say, oh, we're a family. Families make mistakes. Oh, they just understand. That's just the way I am. Don't be that way. Let's keep short accounts. Let's make things right if there's something wrong. Let's not allow one single division to be in our fellowship. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you because you taught us. I thank you for the message of the cross. I thank you for your finished work. Lord God, I pray that as this word has been watering my heart, I pray, Lord God, that you would help this the finished work that you did on the cross becomes so real to us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, as you've chosen and loved us, we'd love each other. And I pray, Lord God, that the devil would not have the opportunity for even a single division among us. That if there is anything that any of us have done to wrong another, or we would make it right. No matter how small it is, we would make it right. In Jesus' name, amen.